Welcome to Stars and Roses, the podcast that recaps The Bachelor, The Bachelorette, and Bachelor in Paradise through the lens of astrology and the zodiac. I'm your host, Hannah Piper Burns, and I can't wait to give you the celestial lowdown on everyone's favorite reality TV dating shows. Thank you so much for coming on this journey with me. Hello and welcome to Stars and Roses. I'm Hannah Piper Burns, and I'm the metaphysical anthropologist of Bachelor Nation. All right, let's just get right into it. We open on the couch in the aftermath assumedly, of the pool party and subsequent rose ceremony. And uh, the vibes have been edited, at least, to feel real weird. Hannah B. is not holding up very well and mentions that she needs validation. One would think that receiving a rose, albeit last, would be that validation, but she wants it. By the way, it's a huge... Bachelor Nation buzzword, validation. Everybody wants validation and they want to solidify their relationship. Listen for it. You're going to start hearing it everywhere. So Chris comes in for the weekly briefing and calls Hannah B. Kalen, which is either a hilarious like senior moment, glitch, HostBot 3000, or it's just like an evil genius manipulation tactic to like push her over the edge. And she responds by like oversharing, being kind of both oversharing and being kind of vague and like stumbling all over herself as if she has forgotten that she is the one who started all of this. She started it. And Chris Harrison even alludes to that. He says, and yet you're still here. And she takes that to mean that she's lucky. She says like by the hair of my chin or something. But I think he meant you're having this big problem with everything, and yet, here you are. Maybe you should shut up. Kaylin, by contrast, is coming off as having a whole lot of composure. This seems as good a time as any to reveal what I learned this week, which is... Oh, wait for it. Uh, I had Kaylin's birthday wrong. Um, I know. I've been uh, showing how she exemplifies Scorpio for what feels like weeks. And to be honest, I'm willing to bet money that she's a Scorpio Ascendant. Seriously, I'm a Scorpio Ascendant. I feel like I see it in her. We don't know that without her birth time, obviously. But I am on the case. I'm on the case increasingly with, as the uh, contestant pool dwindles, I'm going to be more vigilant about trying to nail some stuff down, uh, including ascendance and moon signs, which would be great. Meanwhile, I have to thank Sierra Davies for reaching out to me on Instagram to correct me. And the way that uh, they found out her birthday was by combing through her tagged photos, truly, truly doing the work and finding me the evidence. And I'm so grateful, infinitely, infinitely grateful for that. So Assuming that Kaylin was born in Fredericksburg, Virginia in 1995, which would make her 24 this year, uh, and with a birthday, according to Sierra's research, of June 15th, not November 21st, as I looked up online, and I figured, you know, she's like kind of a celebrity 
being like runner up to Miss USA and also maybe that was a trustworthy thing to just look it up on the internet and she doesn't have a lot of personal stuff on her Instagram it seems mostly to be her pageant life so anyway <laughs> Sierra thanks for digging this up so that would mean that she is a Gemini her sun Mercury and Venus are all in Gemini and her Mars is in Virgo and her moon is either in Capricorn or Aquarius which is super interesting and we'll talk more about that when we get to her one-on-one date. Um, so Colton has decided that it's okay that Caitlin and Hannah B. don't like each other as long as they stay out of each other's way, which to me means like as long as they stay out of his way. So off we go. Tra-la-la to Singapore as a, a destination that I am sure was 100% chosen because of Crazy Rich Asians, the movie. With uh, So we get this packing montage. They always get an hour to pack, which I think is so funny. And honestly, they really they have to pack to get ready to leave before every one-on-one. I don't know if that was made clear, actually. But, um, <clears throat> excuse me, if you are asked on a one-on-one, you have to pack all your shit up. Because if you don't get a rose on that date, you're going home immediately. No rose ceremony, don't pass go. So they should be used to it. Um, Packing for this must be a nightmare because you're basically asked to pack for any weather pattern and any like level of formality and to do your own hair and makeup for television and not to repeat anything if possible. Uh, You also get a bunch of free stuff though. You get like a welcome wagon basket. I feel like it's mostly bikinis from what I've heard. Anyway... We get uh, two virginity jokes during the packing montage. Wah, wah, wah. And I think it's a cool ritual. It's like maybe a little inconsiderate of others, but I like the idea of every time you leave or arrive somewhere, you announce it by yelling off a balcony. Like, goodbye, mansion. Hello, Singapore. There's something about that that I just kind of like. According to Colton's... um, Voiceover, Singapore is rich with both lights and buildings. And in his little vlog, which is kind of a new thing this season, I think, and maybe it's also and or a way to shoot without paying a crew, you know, like now they don't have to pay anyone until a certain time because he can sort of just like do his own interview. Uh, He teases that there's going to be a high adrenaline date. He says, I hope we don't die. As a Virgo, I go into most days, not to mention most dates, thinking, I hope I don't die. I hope we don't die. So this date uh, turns out to be with Taisha, who is the last remaining member of Team Virgo. Poor, poor Taisha. Thinks that the let's fall in love clue on her date card alludes to waterfalls. There's absolutely no way I would do this. In my time watching the show, I've never seen someone just walk off of one of these dates and just refuse to do it. Like, even if they're terrified, and they're usually terrified because these are terrifying circumstances, they usually go through with it. I am, like I said, I'm struggling to think of any example to the contrary. There's no fucking way I would do this. And... Not to mention Colton's basically saying, you know, now that I can break bones again, let's live a little. Not that doesn't make me feel good. 
Tasha, bless her heart, can't even take the goddamn Lord's name in vain. She, I would just be getting bleeped all over the place. She, not only is she not getting bleeped, she's just going, oh my goodness, oh my gosh. I was pretty impressed by that. I was less impressed by her bungee form, although I understand why you wouldn't want to dive head first. Uh, it does seem like it's a necessary thing. Also, I'm sorry, getting bound up around your ankles, oh, and like waddling to that edge. No, I'm sorry. Absolutely not. Luckily, everybody lives. Hooray, hooray. They play this music, this like kind of sweeping strings heavy music that they literally play every time someone jumps off of something. Look it up. And then they're super high on adrenaline, which is likely, likely the only high either of them have ever experienced. Neither of them strike me as uh, casual drug users. They strip down uh, on the shore and make out in the ocean, which is just a classic. It's a, a classic scene in the franchise. I love Tasha's bathing suit. It's an awesome red one piece that's like a slight, like a slight nod to Baywatch, but sexier. Like I said, uh, rather pretentiously, if I do say so myself, these death-defying dates will really provide heavy-duty chemical support for a budding romance, of course. Jake and Vienna did their bungee jump in tandem, which is like the most powerful you can get. It's like a love hack. This is still pretty good, though, and I would never agree to a stunt like this under any circumstances ever. Ever, not ever. Not once, not ever. But if I did, it definite. I definitely wouldn't go second. And I know that from personal experience as well, from the one time I've ever jumped off of something high. <laughs> you want to go first. So, um, yeah, Tasha's a badass. They have decided together, she and Colton, that they push each other in a good way, which I feel like is a Virgo Aquarius thing, if it works. I think that's uh, a, a, a positive, positive manifestation of that dynamic. And then during dinner, Colton, to me, really proves he has what it takes to be The Bachelor in a way that I hadn't really registered before. And by that, I'm talking about how he gives Tasha this very generous setup to open up to him. He, like, rolls out the red carpet in terms of providing her a space to be vulnerable. And increasingly, Tasha is reminding me more and more of Tenley Molson, who I've mentioned before. She's a Taurus. She was the runner-up on On the Wings of Love, which was Jake Pavelka's season. Jake, of course, was the last Aquarius bachelor before Colton. Tenley and Tasha both have this really similar Disney princess quality, and it's kind of a permagrin, but it's not like Hannah B's, like, pained permagrin. I don't know how else to explain it. Um, and they're both sort of this like, oh my goodness, oh my gosh, kind of um, innocent, not naivete, but wholesome, real wholesome. And they both have a really eerily similar backstory about sort of marrying their first love 
and it not working out and it really messing them up because, you know, they have this faith and they want to believe everything's working out. And, you know, um, side, just a sidebar, Tenley went on to star on Bachelor Pad and almost win. And then she dated her partner on that show, Kipton, for a long time. And then they broke up and she went on the first season of BIP. And she's now happily married to someone that I believe is not connected to the show in any way. So I'm glad she got her happy ending. But back to Tasha, like, I totally identify with her frustration at, like, working for something or working at something and it not being enough. And she gets a rose, and I'm really excited. I think she's too sweet to be the bachelorette. Usually they pick someone with a little more moxie, you know, like... Emily Maynard instead of Tenley, for example. Um, but anyway, they uh, end the night with champagne on a giant Ferris wheel because apparently they're not done with ridiculous death-defying heights. Although this is nice. I, I would not go on like a swingy open-air Ferris wheel ski lift situation, but this is like observation deck. It's like skybox. Um, and that feels a little less risky to me, even though it is real high. So moving on, pardon, moving on, we have this big ass group date with a whole coven, whole baker's dozen of women accompanying Colton as he explores the city. Now we'll see how this goes in the future. If this happens again, a lot of times These explore the city dates are culturally problematic. And on the scale, this one wasn't so bad. At least they're, I don't know, worse worse shit has happened. More ignorance has been on display. The bar is very low. But here they all are, jostling through uh, the market. They're all jealous of Kaylin. <laughs> Everybody's on the date but Kaylin. When it sinks in that Kaylin has the other one-on-one, by the way, Demi is, like, trying to mix it up with her because Demi is just always trying to mix it up with everybody. Apparently, she just sees opportunity and seizes on it. But Kaylin shuts it down, which is a very good lesson in how to deal with Demi. And unfortunately, it seems like nobody is paying attention. And no one else is paying attention or listening to Demi either, to their detriment, I would argue. I hope the page flipping noise isn't too distracting. I'm going to listen back, and if it sucks this week, I will be a little bit better about it. And, like, pausing and then flipping instead of, like, doing it as I talk. Okay, so Demi is getting away with things again as last week. Because the other women let her. So, you know, she gets to ride on his shoulders. (laughs) And everyone's sort of grumbling, but they're also not really willing to do what it takes. And that's kind of what a group date's all about. It's brutal. You just, it's an endurance game. It's a marathon. Then, (laughs) all of my dreams come true. And they pay a visit to... The leech lady. They're literally going to get medieval on all their heinies. Literally. Now, I I am as big a fan, and I would argue bigger, 
of alternative therapies and like witchy self-care modalities as anyone. But even for me, this is like maybe a shade beyond the pale. As much as I enjoy the concept in theory. My jam is like, again, Juan Pablo. I would have loved Juan Pablo's season. Maybe not Juan Pablo so much, but they, I think in South Korea, got a pedicure, those those little fish uh, nibbler pedicures. And I, yeah, that's more my speed. I would have really enjoyed that. It boggles my mind that people like Hannah B can be so reluctant and grossed out by like eating a pig's foot or a, even a fisheye, honestly, but they'll just hang out with a fucking leech on them and do an interview. I don't see it that way. I have different priorities. Um, Hannah B makes this like clumsy joke comparing Kaylin to a leech, not knowing that Kaylin has already called Hannah B a gnat. So nice try. Kaylin wins again. Meanwhile, speak of the Kaylin, she's back at the hotel with Tasha. They're lounging around with flowers in their hair, having a very calm and adult conversation about how Hannah B is maybe going to lose it. And it comes off very matter of fact and not passive aggressive. Like I would say, Courtney really has begun to come off. I really thought, you know, at first she, her like breathy, kind of quiet emotionality and hurt in the timber of her voice. I'm talking about Courtney here was a sign of being really earnest and I am beginning to change my mind, but I am uh, getting ahead of myself. Back to the giant group date where Colton is feeling audacious, audacious enough to say that he thinks he looks good in a fedora. I'm beginning to think that he might not totally deserve either Tasha or Kaylin. He may, however, karmically deserve Cassie. When he pulls her aside to consult a fortune teller, they are told, among other things, that they are past life siblings. God, I wish I had seen that whole reading. Um, By the way, the fortune teller trope is a pretty common recent addition. Nick Vile really liked to when I say a recent addition, like a trope or like a recurring motif, Nick Vile loves to consult fortune tellers or love to consult fortune tellers. I think he and Jen on BIP went to one and they went to one in New Orleans. Predominantly cardamancy is what we're talking about, but it looks like this guy was doing some kind of like um, astrology or numerology. I can't really tell, but he did say uh, that Colton was a child of the winter, which He has a winter birthday as an Aquarius. It's in January. And that Cassie is a spring-summer birthday, which also makes sense as a Taurus. I don't know enough about either Colton or Cassie's chart or, like, the nitty-gritty of their synastry in terms of, like, their ascendant node and transits and whatnot to, like, really dig into that idea of the karmic connection and their past life connection. But... Suffice to say, to me, it alludes to a deep and transcendent connection and like an intertwining across time. But all that Colton and Cassie can seem to focus on is the taboo and it makes things awkward and it's kind of a pity. After 
we get that montage of local cuisine and everybody eating it with varying degrees of reluctance. We have the cocktail party and everyone's wound up and trying to get time because, again, this is the melee portion of the journey we're all on. I'm reminded a lot of um, the Mexico group date on Ben Higgins' season, and in that case, Olivia was kind of taking on the role of that Demi is doing now, just really hogging him, and everyone's really bitter about it. And again, the major difference is Ben was kind of into Olivia, and so there was like some real intimidation factor there. And I, again, I just don't, I just don't see it. Even after this date, um, Hannah B is determined to take him first. So she gets up her gumption and she does it. And, you know, Courtney could take a page from that. If Hannah B, if Hannah B can do it, anybody can. Maybe she was feeling like emboldened because she's wearing this like very cool fuchsia halter jumpsuit. However, Courtney on the night of the final rose ceremony of the week was also wearing a pant suit jumpsuit in this like fiery tomato red. And that didn't seem to help her moxie much. But um, anyway, Hannah B steals him off to settle things to her satisfaction. And thank goodness for that, because everyone is really over it. And then because there's so many goddamn people on this date, we get this montage of brief encounters while Courtney whines and whines and whines about how she hasn't had any time. Katie is shown. She got them matching chopsticks, which is adorable. And honestly, The Bachelor and Bachelorette are kind of like minor deities. Like, after the first night where a lot of people bring offerings of various kinds to give them. After that, it's not a lot of offerings and a whole lot of asks. And so when you come with gifts, you know, facing outwards, gifts first, generosity in, in your spirit, and you approach the, the lead, um, well, favor smiles upon you. What else can I say? Sydney is doing something with sterile gloves and surgical gauze, and I'm very curious about it. And then Hannah G is reading his palm badly. I feel like that's just her shtick. Like, whatever task she's given, she ties it directly back to her experiences. She's like, uh, there's this trope called um, Born Sexy Yesterday or something. It's like Lilu from... Um, fifth element or like ex machina this like I'm five days old that's how I feel it's like her timeline started when she woke up in the mansion the first day anyway Courtney finishes her diatribe and Demi tells her to get out of her own head and go get time which is solid advice and Demi takes her own advice and goes to talk to Colton revealing in the process that her mother was recently released from federal prison. Demi is hard to empathize with. Like, it's hard to... She doesn't seem like she has anything behind her eyes. It's very difficult to see where the real Demi begins. 
She comes back from that conversation and tells Courtney once again, stop fretting and do something. And Courtney refuses because she's, her passive aggressiveness is intensifying. And on a group date, especially, especially, especially with that many people, that kind of passive aggressiveness of like, well, I haven't gotten any time and everybody else has gotten time, but like, if he really wants the time with me, he'll come find me or like, maybe I'll get some time. No, it's just, if you can't hack it, you shouldn't be there. Cause honestly, it's not going to get easier. I think about like the pig, <laughs> pig Island Bahamas date that we, that was like kind of re enacted in the fire festival documentaries, um, where <laughs> the pig's gonna go rogue and they're like biting people. Anyway, there's also this like infamous beach volleyball date on Nick Vile's season. And it's like one of the last group dates and every, you know, everyone's supposed to be having a good time and the vibes are bad. And Courtney doesn't seem like she's gonna be able to handle that. Spoiler alert, it's not working out for her. Was Demi supposed to hold Courtney's hand and lead her over to him or grab him and lead him over to her? No. And in fact, Courtney doesn't even find Demi talking to Colton. It's not as if Courtney like makes an attempt to steal Colton and Demi shuts it down and doesn't allow it. She finds Demi alone and begins projecting. Demi, I thought Demi was full of shit about the women being intimidated by her confidence, but I'm starting to think she's right. Um, she didn't ask, she didn't get rebuffed, you know, it's stupid. Her reaction is unfortunate and it's immature. Also unfortunate are Demi's insults because they're kind of hit or miss, which is part, you know, she's just not the best villain. You know, when she says Courtney puts the ass in class, that's actually kind of a compliment. Of course, we know now that Demi gets the date rose for being vulnerable with Colton. And he appreciates that she has unconditional love for her family. (laughs) It must be a relief to know she has feelings. And um, Courtney has too many feelings. Courtney is melting down. So now we have Kaylin's one-on-one and I don't know whether or not ABC put a content warning or a call to action or anything on this episode. I certainly didn't get one on Hulu. I am going to go ahead and offer one now. Originally, I was also going to offer to, in the show notes, put in the time codes where I'd be talking about her date and what she talked about on her date. But uh, in hindsight, I don't even really want to talk about it or repeat it again. So I'm going to be really, really vague. But um, general content warning ahead for sexual assault. But first, the fun part. Kaylin gets a visit from a butler who directs her downstairs to Colton, who's been waiting in a vintage Bentley, which... It's not my choice with the aesthetic of Singapore. If it were my choice, I would say like a hollow paint sports car. You know what I'm talking about? Look it up on YouTube. Sick. 
I'd even settle for like a bright yellow one. Anyway, this is the princess date, the promised princess date, which is most often a shopping spree. Uh, although on crystal season, it was a, like a literal Cinderella themed date. Jade went on that one. And on Juan Pablo season, it was a little bit lower key. It was the custom dress that he got made for Renee in Vietnam. Becca Kufrin had the princess date on Ari's season, actually. And you could argue that Rachel Lindsay had her own version of the princess date on her season of The Bachelorette when she and Brian got his and hers Swiss watches. That was pretty amazing. Uh, if you are a commodity fetishist, it's like, you know, it's like spin the wheel. You have a one in 15 chance of getting the princess date and walking away with uh, hundreds of thousands of dollars, it seems like, of commodities. So we get this great, and often it's jewelry. They didn't really do it this time, I guess, but it was more like fashion and shoes. I have no problem with that. Usually it's also like diamonds, which is not my thing. I guess there's a resale value on that. I don't know what the tax situation is on gifted diamonds from a reality show either. I digress. We have a dressing room montage. It's great. She looks great in everything. She reminds me a lot of Gia, just in her face and um, how smoking hot she is and how sweet she is uh, despite that. Uh, my personal favorite of all those outfits of the fashion show is the shell pink strapless feather bottom gown, but that <laughs> green wrap dress literally makes Colton get these, I'm sorry, not literally, figuratively makes Colton get these cartoonish awooga, awooga eyes. Look at it. Look, go back and look. It's hilarious. He always kind of reminds me of a 12 year old. There's such a boyish quality to him that I find endearing but not sexy, but it's still enjoyable to watch because he is very emotive. And she's a smart cookie. She didn't get where she is by not being observant. <laughs> and she wears a really similar dress to dinner. Okay. Again, when it comes to these like really harrowing and intense stories of trauma and loss and survival, there's only so much time that I can personally take on this show to unpack them. As you've probably gathered by now, many contestants that come on these shows have dark pasts, dark stories. Some are darker than others. Some feel more shame than others. You think about someone like Tenley or Tasha, who clearly feel a lot of pain. And then you think about people like Elise and Kaylin, who are feeling a really different kind of pain. But it's all suffering. It's all stuff they're carrying with them. Hannah B. as well as we've seen. We've heard a lot of stories, like I, like clearly just even this season. And we hear them and hear them and hear them every season. Plane crashes, mysterious debilitating illnesses, school shootings, domestic violence. Kaylin's is up there 
in terms of how horrifying it is. And I was watching it with a really good friend of mine and yeah, we didn't see it coming. And I'm always <laughs> cracking jokes in sort of a running DVD commentary style, uh, MST3K style laugh track, which I'm sure is extremely hilarious to everyone around me and not annoying at all. And we were just watching in total and complete silence. And of course, there's like a cynical element to this in the sense of there is this cultural and political relevance with the Me Too movement and the Kavanaugh hearing that I'm sure occurred to the powers that be in casting and production. I'm sure they think of it as a well-meant attempt to contribute to this ongoing dialogue. Here's a woman who was violated and subjected to humiliation, not just at the hands of her peers, but also the authorities. And what really gets me about her story is how sickeningly familiar it is by this point and how we can almost fill in the blanks at this point of the details. Not that it makes her those details, the fungibility of them has nothing to do with their impact. And obviously everyone has a unique story, but we're so used to hearing how they unfold and in the aftermath and, and in her words, doing everything right. And it just keeps happening and we never get justice. And as far as I'm concerned, Kaylin is my fucking Miss America. And I'm just going to leave it at that. Colton's response is interesting on a few levels. You could say that he took this like truly superlatively traumatic incident and made it about him and his virginity. You could say that, and you wouldn't be wrong about that. However, and, you know, maybe this is the Stockholm Syndrome talking, but if we're giving him the benefit of the doubt, which we don't have to do, but if we, if we are, I think he was also saying in his own way that he understands what it's like to love a survivor. And frankly, sometimes that means that you don't have sex. And that's okay. That's what I took away from that. And I don't think it was the shittiest thing to say. Thank God. All I can think. Thank all of the gods that... <laughs> slash, thank you, Elon Gale, executive producer Elon Gale. Kaylin wasn't on Ari's season, you know, or you know, because Colton handled it pretty well, all things considered. And part of that, part of the reason why is, as he says, because he has an ex who is also a survivor of sexual abuse. And he is likely talking about Ali Reisman, 
the Olympic gymnast who was one of many who was abused by Larry Nasser. As it happens, Allie and Kaylin both have their son and Mercury in Gemini. While Allie has a Sagittarius moon, Kaylin's is either in Aquarius or Capricorn. Either way, that's pretty powerful synastry with either Colton's sun or his Capricorn stellium, which includes Venus, Mars, and Mercury. As far as Gemini and Aquarius sun sign compatibility goes, their uh, relational degree is a trine, which means they're four signs apart or 120 degrees apart. And that's a damn good aspect, a trine, honestly. It points to support, harmony, grace. Even though I would say like Aquarians seek truth and Geminis have a different relationship with the truth. Maybe they play with truth or they understand the fundamental fluidity and malleability of truth in a way that Aquarians maybe don't want to hear about. Um, Kaylin also shares some similar placements with Courtney. Courtney and Onyeka being the other Geminis in the cast, but we'll talk about we'll talk about that a little bit later. Let's move on from Kaylin's one-on-one. I'm ready to wrap it up. She gets the rose. Seems like she's going to be around for a minute. And now we are on to the cocktail party where she, Demi, and Tasha all have roses and are safe. First, Colton takes Hannah G back to his room. And I gotta admit, like in that pink ballet pink dress, she, no shit, looks like one of those life-size Barbie dolls. Seriously. She keeps saying, well, he keeps saying that he loves how she makes him feel, even though he doesn't know her very well. (laughs) And then instead of getting to know her, They make out and roll around on the bed. And then they remake the bed. And I am really starting to think that she has this in the bag. Because, like, again, I have have absolutely no emotional connection with her and don't really understand their connection. And in the history of my viewership, that usually means she's got it in the bag. Then... We see Kaylin pull Hannah B aside and she extends her an olive branch. And I have to say, again, we have seen conversations like this many, many, many times on this show over the years. But unlike many, many, many conversations of this nature that have happened on this show, both of them actually apologize. It feels sincere, and they both accept the other's apology without, with intent. And that is truly, truly hashtag rare. I'm really, like, it's just really gratifying to see that. And it's also, again, cynically, uh, it's nice to sort of put that into a freezer or put a pin in that rivalry until a potential two-on-one date, perhaps. We'll see. 
It will tear that fragile piece asunder. This parlay and detente, of course, goes down just in time for the Courtney and Demi drama to fucking explode. Demi goes for broke with Colton and calls Courtney the quote-unquote cancer of the house, which I think everyone agrees everyone agrees is shitty. Everyone agrees is over the line and inaccurate <laughs> besides. Between this and like her my haters comment, she she skews trollish. Like she skews straight up 4chan Twitter, which is great for like a 40 tie the 40 tie-in of social media. Like she she knows what she's doing. She's producing herself. But um she doesn't have a chance to win the show, I don't think. And so the frisson of her villainy is just not um convincing. And I think it kind of undermines her superpower, which is that she's actually very frank and honest and direct. And I, I like that she has dimensions. Um, and I like that I'm still trying to figure her out. At least she's not boring. And it seems like barring her dating somebody, quote, (laughs) wink, uh, or whatever, it seems like she's a shoe in for paradise. But we'll eh, we'll just have to see. Um, in ba- in in great bachelor tradition, though, um, Colton is a big ol' snitch, and just you know, Courtney pulls him aside, and he immediately just like basically repeats verbatim what Demi told him about her. So Courtney, like Kaylin, has her son and her Mercury in Gemini. And as I've said, this trine with Aquarius is often a positive sign of compatibility. They also both have Mars in Virgo. She and Kaylin, I'm saying, not she and Colton. She and Kaylin both have Mars in Virgo, which I think we see in Courtney specifically epitomizing this with the passivity and the criticism and the complaining. (laughs) Sorry, but it's true. With her Venus and Taurus, their Venus placements have a sextile aspect, which is also often auspicious. So all of this to say, I think Courtney's really getting in her own way. And Demi, in her own way, is winning, winning, (laughs) wins the night because both Tracy and Courtney, spoiler alert, go home. A note on Demi's astrology. I've been trying to figure out her birthday. I assumed that she was an Aquarius, but it I I from my Instagram research believed that her birthday was sometime in mid-February. But it's possible that it's February 22nd. If that's the case, she would be a Pisces, which is a first for bachelor villains, unless you count Claire Crawley, who I believe is a Pisces. And that's so funny because Claire seems so much more Pisces-like to me, maybe in the crying. You know, I know it's a stereotype for water signs, but they do cry. They feel the world. And Claire definitely felt the world. And she talked to animals, which seems like a a Pisces Disney princess or like a stoner Rihanna queen power either way. I got to do some more research on Mars and Moon and Mercury placements of 
bachelor villains of women villains to see if any patterns emerge because like I said it's all over the map and despite not really buying the veracity of Demi's connection with Colton if her Venus is in fact in Capricorn and if her Mercury is in fact in Aquarius as a February 22nd 1995 birthday would indicate they do have some promising synastry her moon would either be in Scorpio or Sagittarius, and I gotta, you know, her flippancy is, that seems like Sagittarius talking, you know, ding dong, the bitch is dead. Dr. Demi cut out the cancer. That's Sagittarius foot and mouth disease <laughs> all the way. Just saying. So I have I'm just going to wrap up (laughs) the week. Thank you for sitting with me through all of that. It's a lot to get through. And it seems like things are only going to get more intense. On that note, I'm going to ask a few questions as we go into next week that I'm going to be mulling over. And if you want to chat through them with me, I would love to hear from you. You can message me on Instagram at starsandroses, starsandroses underscore podcast at stars and roses underscore podcast. If you want to talk about any of the answers to these questions, possibly if you have info, uh, if you've been checking Demi's tagged photos and happen to know her actual birthday, if I have other signs wrong, etc., etc. I love hearing from people and yeah, I will totally be down to chat anytime. Question one. How long was Chris Harrison standing there waiting to cut into Courtney and Demi's fight and announce the rose ceremony? Two, now that all of her nemeses have been taken out with one fell swoop, who will Demi start shit with next? Three, the palpable happiness and relief at Kaylin and Hannah B's reconciliation warms my cold card heart. That's not a question. That's just something I wanted to say again. My heart grew three sizes today. Four, will 23-year-old never-been-kissed Heather's seemingly inevitable looming first kiss be as excruciatingly painful to watch as the kiss that happened between Sean Lowe and Salma Alamiri? Do we remember that? She wasn't supposed to kiss anyone on camera or in public or something, and, and she decided to break the rules and... It didn't go well. Five. Is Elise going full Mrs. Robinson? I'm kidding. She's literally five years older than Golden, not 25. Oh, what is going on? Six. Will Colden walk into the ocean? And if so, will we get a real-life version of that um, during the bachelor in paradise promo where chris harrison's running on the beach in a suit with the red floaty thing (laughs) is it gonna happen for real is he like is is he just gonna start trying to hurt himself or like run away like a like like his westworld programming went haywire like first he tries to walk into the ocean and chris drags him out and then he like jumps over a fence and starts walking away and chris has to like chase him down uh, that's as good a note to any as any to leave us on. So please get in touch with me at stars and roses underscore podcast on Instagram. 
And until next week, thank you so much for being on this journey with me. And I can't wait to see where it goes.